asking Argentine football fans all over the world to be our Valentines this year. Welcome to Hand of Pod. Sam Kelly, welcome to another weekend of, of another week of Hand of Pod, which hopefully will be online before the weekend kicks off. Although whether I manage to get it before the weekend's football kicks off is another matter. Um, I'm joined this week by Andres Bruckner. Hello and welcome. Whose living room we are in, and Rob Brown. Hello. Who's stepping in because we've not got very many people this week. <laughs> Thank you for turning up, Rob. I'm recording with, with earphones on this week. It's a new experience for Hand of Pod, and I do feel a bit silly that it is helping me to, uh, to, to monitor the sound. So, there we go. Um, where do we start this week? Lots and lots of, of really silly shit has happened, um, which we're going to get onto a bit later, particularly, of course, as long-term listeners will not be surprised at all to hear regarding Racing Club in Avellaneda. But first of all, let's look back over last weekend's results. It was an interesting first weekend of the uh, torneo final. Estudiantes Arsenal, Vélez versus Tigre, both fairly dull. Second half of Vélez Tigre was all right. But... I thought yeah, Estudiantes' winner over Arsenal was worth, worthy of comment because it was a, it was a goal. The set-piece routine was deserving of a goal and for that reason Arsenal decided to give them it. The, uh, I can't remember at all. Uh, I can't remember who scored it. Uh, oh, it was Correa. Correa made the run from the centre to the outside, uh, remained unmarked as the entire squad ran to the near post, leaving the far post free. When the ball fell to Correa, he had a totally limp, awful shot, which Diego Bagrelli uh, decided to obligingly deflect past his own goalkeeper and into the net. I think it was was it was it uh, Jonathan Schunke with the shot. No, the um, the number the three the left def- defender. Uh, Silva, of course. Silva, yeah, I, knew Silva. It was a, I knew it was one of the defenders, which sort of explained the lack of uh, power behind it. But yeah, as a result, Estudiantes uh, began the season with a one began the the half season, I should say, with a one nil win over Arsenal de Sarandí in La Plata. Juan Sebastián Verón didn't play. Um, he might be doing this weekend. He's, he's determined to push his body to the very limit because, of course, he's announced his retirement for the second time at the end of this season. Uh, Vélez, Sabsfield and Tigre then played out a match which was as quiet as it was in the stands, really. And that's not a comment, as, as it normally would be on how few fans Vélez, Sabsfield have. Um, it's a comment on the fact that they, just like all boys and Boca Juniors, um, have begun the Toleo final with, with a stadium ban. They're not allowed any fans in due to trouble towards the end of the initial. Um, that match finished nil nil. Um, and I, I think that uh, the, the, goal, the coach, Tigre coach Fabian Alegre, might be happy with the 0 0 mm. uh, playing with the surname because uh, uh, Tigre did a, did a good uh, job there and, and I think they deserved the, at least the, the, the draw, which for the relation zone will be will be interesting, will be good. If they win, of course, the second like the the, the uh, taking draws from 
away uh, away matches and then winning when they are home. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, the, the the pun was a very good yeah. one. Incidentally, it might go slightly over the heads of listeners who don't speak a Latin language, but uh, very nice. <laughs> um, and then we saw the first example of in the torneo final of a phenomenon that we noted many times during the torneo inicial, namely uh, the very high bias towards home teams um, in terms of the results, if not 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 the refereeing. By the way, I mean in, in the home sides tended to get far better results than away sides during the final, uh, which which may or may not sort of uh, correct itself now during the final with the reverse fixtures coming in, but it certainly hasn't on the opening weekend because Olimpo de Bahia Blanca claimed their fifth victory in a row in the league, um, 2-0 over the defending champions. It's a shame Mariano's not here. Um, although he told us last week that, that he didn't think, he wasn't as confident as I was that San Lorenzo were going to win. I uh, don't think he was expecting them to finish the match with 10 men and go down to, well, Mirashes' goal was very good on his debut, Ezequiel Mirashes. Um, the defence could have done a bit better, though. Yeah, um, I think... The Furios' goal, I yes. can't actually remember. Yes. Furios with the header from, a, I think, a free kick. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I thought the defending for both goals was pretty abject and it was kind of illustrative of the whole struggle that they had. I'm not sure what's happened to San Lorenzo, but since they had that win over Belgrano... Uh, they've been you know, it was the, towards the end of the Inicial they've been totally abysmal they, they drew against the Estudiantes and then they yeah. drew against uh, they drew against Rafaela Bellest having gone 2-0 down of course yeah they, 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 they did their best to throw that game away and then they had the two nil nils against the Estudiantes which was the most Petro Frio thing I've ever seen mm. and then they decided nil nil against Velez was a gamble worth taking basically put everyone behind the ball and played for that result they were basically pretty lucky to win the Inicial despite themselves rather than saying they had, they deserved it on merit. I mean, they as we said at the time, anybody yeah. would have been lucky to to win yeah. it. Really, they all uh, bottled it enormously. <clears throat> and now they've lost to Olimpo with a limp performance that deserved no more than what they got. And followed it up with another two 0 uh, away loss on Tuesday night against uh, Botafogo in the Maracana in the first match of their Copa Libertadores group stage. That's probably a little bit less worrying, but we'll get on to Argentine sides in the Libertadores a bit later on. Um, later in the weekend, we had one away win um, of the whole weekend in the Primera. This uh, this weekend just gone. It was Rosario Central's 1-0 victory over Quilmes, which I can't remember anything about because... Oh, because I was watching Racing against Colón, which was on at almost the same time. Um, did anybody see that one? Quilmes against Central? I saw the goal. It was a towering header from someone who wasn't Sebastian Obreu, which was a bit surprising. No, and then in Sina, the, the man you doesn't look like a person you'd want to run into in a dark alley <laughs> um, but he's a very good footballer by Argentine league standards anyway um, and he gets them trying a really huge win they've got uh, in fact we've got a, a beginning of the initia, uh, the final sorry, in which various sides in and around the, the relegation zone are playing against each other in these first few weeks um, this was one of them obviously Central having done well during the initial um, but still very much in need of as many points as early in the campaign as possible. That was the only away, away win. We had a few draws. Newells against Boca was nil-nil. Belgrano versus Lanús on Monday night was a very entertaining 2-2 draw. Uh, Atletico Rafaela, an all-boys drew 1-1. Rafaela needed a late equaliser, but all-boys habit of conceding in the second halves of matches uh, continued. Uh, Vélez Tigre we've already talked about. And then we had a few home wins including shock horror 
River Plate not looking like absolute toilet. Yeah, it was pretty. I mean, good, wasn't the it? finishing was bloody awful. Yeah, I was going to say. But apart from that, they, they it's worth qualifying. Apparently, right. they, they had twenty-three attempts, but only four on target. Mm. But still, twenty-three attempts is a marked improvement on what we saw last year, where they looked and totally hardly. And, and apart from that, they they appeared to be they were attacking in numbers as well. They were getting you know there were a few occasions where they had the chance because they had like three men mm. steaming into the box all yeah. at once, as opposed to what we saw so so previously before, lumping it towards. Teo Gutierrez or Federico Andrado and Giovanni Simeone and hoping they could do something on their own uh, it looks a bit more cohesive yeah. far be it from us to get too excited at this early stage in the season because we were fully aware that River have got the capacity to cock everything up they're away to Central at the weekend um, which is going to be tricky but Andres how are you feeling as a River fan after seeing that first performance uh, I think that there will be problems if they don't uh, uh, put into the net the, the, the situations they have because they had a lot of, of of opportunities and, and because Gimnasia was totally, uh, I think they, they admitted that they didn't play as they wanted to in the Monumental. Mm. Uh, and I, with, when you see a lot of teams uh, that uh, defend, have huge defense, uh, especially playing against a, a, a big team uh, when they are when they go away. In this case, they they couldn't do anything or they weren't aware of 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 the attack uh, of the of, in this case River and. But the other way we round, River didn't uh, put into the net the the, 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 the several opportunities, and, yeah. and that that will be a problem in the future. Do uh, you think that Fernando Cavanaghi is going to solve that problem as he gets back into match practice? Well, uh, he gave an interview this this week saying that when this, the striker or when he scores, he's flat or see or sleep, thin, yeah. and when he did, doesn't, he he's he's. Uh, He's fat, fat. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's some, somehow true. He hit the ball in the post, which was really, really clear situation. And, and some, sometimes you can't uh, give that advantage because uh, the, 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 your rival can put the ball in the in the box and and, 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 and tie the game. And, and, and all the situations you you created uh, are are in, are in the trash can. So uh, in that case, I I, I think. That he's more like a symbol and and, and a, a player that that, that can uh, motivate the other the, the, his teammates than what he can do. Yeah. Uh, it's himself. That's fair. Mm. I would also like to go back to that point where he said, "If I score, I'm thin. If I don't, I'm yeah. fat." And just reiterate that, no, Fernando, you are fat. That's all there is to it. Yeah. No, it's not that bad. By a footballer standard. River, River in the last few years about Christian Fabiani, let's not forget. Well, he's not, he's not Orte Goza, but he's not exactly Flacco, let's put it that way. Well, no. I, I heard that the, the last uh, River victory against Rosario Central, and Rosario was uh, with goals from uh, Fabiani and, uh, and Calmarini. So, well. <laughs> Bloody hell, I've forgotten Calmarini, I've played for River. <laughs> yes. um, the goal on uh, Sunday evening that, that won the match for River uh, was a long shot from uh, Leonardo Poncio, which went straight in the bottom corner. It was, it was a I was going to ask, do we think that was a Galasso or are we going to apportion some blame to Fernando Minetti in the goal? No, he froze. He thought the shot was going one way. Yeah, that's what I figured. I thought he could have done no. better, but at the same no, time, what, River, no. River did deserve that three points. No, when I say I, I don't think we should apportion blame, I, I'm not a goalkeeper, but I have a, a friend who is Justin Bryant, who's Keepers Union on Twitter. And the way he's explained it to me is that a lot of the time when a goalkeeper ends up looking silly like that, they actually can't do anything because you start going one way and when you realise the ball's going the, in, in the other direction... 
rather you can't just immediately spring back mm. your muscles mm. actually freeze yeah and so it's it, it actually although it the goalkeeper always looks stupid <clears> when it happens it's it's not so much the goalkeeper's fault as it seems um so i'm going to say it was a decent goal we saw a in complete transformation um in la paternal as well where argentinos beat godoy cruz one of the reasons i was hoping that peter coates would be able to join us today was because he was at the game um argentinos two godoy cruz one it looked like a Borgia team again, didn't it? Piscolici was the key man. Well, the exactly. key player. Yeah, definitely. Yes. Um, and what a goal from him as well. Yes. As someone who spent most of last year taking tourists to Argentinos games under Caruso Lombardi and feeling slightly guilty about charging them money for doing so, I can't bloody <laughs> wait to get back to um, to the Estadio Diego Maradona now to, to see an, an entertaining side under the manager who I first saw Argentinos under as well. Um, that, that should be fantastic stuff. The goals... Um, came from Pisculici on his return to the club and from Lucas Cano um, Godoy Cruz got a late-ish consolation from Mauro Obolo but that was all it proved to be after Jose Luis Fernandez had been sent off um, and this really can we think of any other really good goals apart from the one that we're about to mention uh, I liked very much Ismael Blanco's goal in the El Grande Manusca oh uh, yeah the second equaliser was it very late towards the end yes. for Lanús lovely lovely finish mm. although no Lanús second goal but it wasn't the equaliser was it not? Right? no it was the they went 1-0 down and then went 2-1 up I think both Rob and I missed this game live as you might have just worked out uh, oh no you're right it was an equaliser yeah, sorry no, they went 1-0 up and then 2-1 yeah. down then yeah. 2-2 yeah, delightful chip over the goalkeeper. Whether Belgrano's defensive line should have been that high in the first place, I mean, he got through very simply. And but 2-1 up yeah. with a quarter of an hour to go. Yeah, yeah not, not the best idea. Um, Lanús are in Copa Libertadores action right now, aren't they? I think it's like 9.15pm. Uh, I am one hour's time, as we record at the moment. Um, at home against O'Higgins of Chile. Chile um, champion. Yes. Oh, there was one other goal I wanted to mention as well. I don't know whether we're going to go on to talk about La Bay, but I thought Banfield's third goal, I think, uh-huh. was worth mentioning just for the... And it was a 90th minute winner. I can't remember who it was against. But it was scored in the middle of an absolutely torrential rainstorm. And the celebrations were like something out of the Shawshank Redemption. Oh, was this the... They were 2-1 down with a couple of minutes to go? No, and it, was, it, was one. Really it was I think, I think they, they, they went one down, that's right. They equalised um, and then threw everything forward. 90, 90th minute, maybe maybe a bit later than the 90th minute. Um, cross comes in, late, flicked header into the bottom corner. But it was just the way it was, the way it looks on TV because of the weather is absolutely spectacular. It was. Here we go. Banfield two, Almirante Brown one. Yes. Um, equaliser in the 38th minute of the second half. I don't know why they do it that way. That's the. Uh, uh, 83rd minute isn't it uh, from Fabian Nogueira and then this winner that uh, Rob's talking about also from Fabian Nogueira in the 89th minute according to Ole he was dr- dramatic dramatic yeah. ending yes yeah. and uh, it wouldn't be hand of pod if we didn't give Racing a good mention because the best goal of the lot this weekend probably in the Primera at least possibly the best goal of the lot in terms of footballing history I'm going to go out there and say that you think My oh, but if just put it this way I think if it had been a tap in if Biola had just rolled it in at the end of that move, it would have been a fantastic goal. Probably the best goal that would be scored in the final anyway. Yes, whereas an overhead kick from around the penalty spot... Just takes it into that next stratosphere. Indeed. Um, it was like a, a, a goal that Germany would have scored at the last World Cup. They won the ball on the edge of their own penalty area, worked it to one side of the pitch, 
gained maybe half of the pitch in terms of yardage, switched flanks, and then, yeah, it was just the cross into the box and the overhead kick. It was just a perfect example of what you'd want from your team. We have to temper Rob's praise there by pointing out that Germany in the last World Cup were playing against defences as solid as England's and uh, Diego Maradona's Argentina, <laughs> whereas Racing had the rather simpler job of being at home to Colón de Santa Fe, who nonetheless managed five shots on target to Racing's six, and a surprisingly competent performance, but still managed to lose 3-0 because they're Colón. They're Colón, yes. Um, I was out with... Uh, Sandy uh, of Hand of Pod fame and one of his friends is a Cologne fan and was unaware of the score until after the match had finished and when he asked us and we said it was 3-0 and he said to who? We were like well sorry but you're Cologne you didn't win 3-0 sorry Racing won 3-0 and he was distraught and I'm thinking well I don't know maybe maybe fans have to believe in their team a bit more than neutrals but Maybe it's just a bit of an idiot. Well, there is also that possibility. But yeah, come on, they're never going to win a game 3-0 at the moment. Um, indeed, they're not. They're at home to Argentinos Juniors this coming weekend. Um, so we'll we'll see whether Borgi has is, is really got it. But, I mean, Colón have now picked up two draws from their last 16 matches. So it's not looking great, is it? Um, Racing, however... And this is where we get into the, the real meat and two veg because we have a couple of entertaining stories this weekend, uh, this week on Hand of Pod. And, um, and one of them involves Racing, as, as so frequently entertaining stories in Argentine football involve them. Uh, Racing played very well against Colón. Okay, Colón managed, as we say, five shots on target uh, to Racing's six, but Racing were far more clinical. Valentin Viola, who scored that overhead kick, added another in the 90th minute. Um, and at the very end of the first half, Gabriel Auche had seized on an absolutely horrendous error from uh, Germán Montosha, the, the Colón goalkeeper, who tried to clear it to, to a centre-back and ended up sort of... Well, he cleared it to a centre-back. When he cleared it to a centre-back, he wasn't looking. And um, it's also worth mentioning that he spent about 30 seconds to a minute preparing for that kick, asking his teammates to tie both shoelaces again. Yeah. As so if he was going to make a difference. And then, and then immediately kicked it straight, 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 straight out, out there, pretty much. But in, in the, independently of the, of the Herman Montoya uh, horrendous uh, kick, uh, I think Auche is, is doing good. And, mm. and he assisted, I don't remember, Vieto yeah. for the third goal. Yeah. Yes. So... I think that uh, he is perhaps some, some time ago he, he wouldn't score the second goal nor assist Vieto for the third yeah, goal. Yeah, uh, the, fact, the fact that he passed and left Vieto with a tap in was very encouraging because that's what you want a striker to do. And they only tend to do that when they have confidence. Yeah. It seems like when they when they lack that belief, they will just go for it and try and score themselves, which is a bit silly. But. Yeah, back in the, he's also definitely just maturing a bit. Though, I think. I mean, back in the days when uh, Sebastián García was on hand of pod frequently, he would often lament Gabriel Alches' idiocy. Basically, there's no other word for it. And that level of stupidity now appears to be disappearing. However, as we apologise for the squeaky of the brakes and the buses were pausing um, now and then when, when buses go past, but. Unbelievable. You can hear that. I'm going to leave this one in so that you can hear what we're contending with, listeners. However, it wouldn't be Racing Club if it was all going perfectly as planned and, and to just just beautifully and, and if none of us non-Racing fans could laugh our asses off at them. Um, Racing, as you may have noticed, among the goal scorers on, at, at the weekend, if, if you were uh, paying attention to the summer transfer window here in Argentina... You have noticed a very conspicuous name missing the name of... It. Now, is it Wasson or Wason? Is it like Jason? 
or is it? I think it's Wasson, isn't it? Uh, Wasson Renteria, the Colombian striker who was signed by Racing from from Millonarios, uh, Millonarios, sorry, in, in Colombia. Um, he was he was out for the weekend because he failed to inform the club doctors that he takes prescription medication for a respiratory disorder. Yeah, something to do with his heart or lungs. He informed them at the last minute. They then presented a thingy to the AFA saying, look, if this guy takes a doping uh, test tomorrow, he's, he's going to fail it because he's, he's on this for respiratory stuff and we've, we've not given you the notice in time. The AFA managed to prepare a last-minute allowance for him for the future, not for the, the weekend game. Um, and then after the weekend's match, which I think Racing played on Saturday, didn't they? Um, yes. On Sunday, without anybody really knowing what was going on, Wassandra Interia got on a plane and flew back to Colombia. Um, some wags in the press uh, claimed that he wasn't going to be coming back to, to Buenos Aires, which was entirely believable because we're talking about Racing here. Um, and it would have been just too good to be true had he not. But um, it turned out that he was going back there to, to pick his, his uh, wife, I think, it's, I think it's his wife, it might be his girlfriend, and family up and, and bring them back to Buenos Aires. Uh, he, he returned afterwards and the club explained oh no it was all above board he had leave to, to go and everything which is what they always say when a player buggers off without having leave to go because it makes the club less, look less embarrassed but still you know they were putting a brave face on it he returned to training he had the bit of paper from the club doctors and from the AFA saying yes you can play even though you're taking this medication for, um, for the respiratory disease uh, or disorder um, and then today in training quite early on in training he uh, broke down clutching his knee and on Thursday evening uh, the news was broken that Wassandra Interia has and we shouldn't be laughing when we say this but it's so hard not to because it's racing um, that Wassandra Interia has ruptured his the left uh, knee the, the cruciate ligaments in his left knee and will be out for six months has anything so thoroughly racing like happened in, in recent years to racing there are like a million examples but this is a hilarious one isn't it well, uh, Russian supporters always said, have been saying that they were born to suffer, and, and this is a, a little uh, proof of that. Uh, I, perhaps Mostaza Merlo didn't do, didn't do the, the, that uh, gesture that always do, does when to bring him luck and, and that. Cuernitos, the little horns. Yes, the cuernitos, and, and, and perhaps uh, he didn't do that because he's always like, and, and, and he heads the ball when, when the players are going to head it and, and, and that, that's the movement as, as if he were a player. Yeah. Uh, I, heard, I heard this week that he denies that he dyes his hair. Yeah. I refuse to believe that for yeah. a single millisecond. There is no way that man is his age and has blonde hair that colour. When Mostasa Mendo retires from football management, he's going to sign a deal with L'Oreal Argentina. <laughs> and precisely, precisely Auche, we were talking about him, he was interviewed by a, 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 news, a sports news channel and he said no. I I don't say he will. He's he has his his hair uh, uh, tainted because uh, died. Yes, because uh, I don't know. I don't want to be in the bench uh, in the, in the <laughs> for the match. And uh, it was it was really 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 funny. If you could get away with saying that as a player about any of your managers, then the manager would be Mostasa Merino because if nothing else, he's got a tremendous sense of humour about himself. As anybody who watches uh, Argentine television will be aware, Mostasa Merino is in some truly fantastic uh, television adverts um, because he's prepared to take the piss out of himself. Basically, it's fantastic. 
Um, so that's Racing's week. It, it's been an entertaining one for the non-Racing fans. I mean, well, for the Racing fans as well. I mean, they, they won. Um, they've got the first big classical of the weekend coming up this weekend. Sorry, of the season, of the year. One day I'll remember how to speak English and this podcast <laughs> will go tremendously. Uh, they've got the first big Clásico of the Doneo Final coming up this weekend when they visit San Lorenzo in Bajo Flores, the champions against the team who finished about 15th or something, in, uh, 11th maybe, in the um, Doneo Inicial, um, which will be interesting given that San Lorenzo haven't started fantastically. I'm interested in Mystic Sam's prediction for this game at the end because I'm absolutely positive that the home side is not going to take three points in that game. I am indeed. We'll see what Mystic Sam has to say a little later. The other match of the weekend, the, the other big match of the weekend, was one of the last, uh, one of the Inicial's title contenders and the winners of last year's Torneo Final, Copa Libertadores semi-finalists last season, Newell's Old Boys, hosted, hosted Boca Juniors uh, in the Estadio Marcelo Bielsa on the opening weekend. It was, uh, there were so many ways to sell this one. Rupert Fryer, friend of Hand of Pod and a long-term listener, uh, and a lovely man um, wrote a piece for southamericanfootball.co.uk about how it was Fernando Gago versus Eber Banega or well, Eber Banega versus Fernando Gago because Banega was on the home team um, it was Banega's debut for the team he's supported since childhood of course he's on a six month I think it's a six month uh, loan to Newell's Old Boys from Valencia because he needed playing time ahead of the World Cup Fernando Gago was on the Boca Juniors midfield uh, and Banega, of course, was the man who replaced Gago in the Boca Juniors midfield when Gago was sold to Real Madrid in 2007. Yeah, that sounds right, January 2007. Um, Andres, you're back from refilling my glass, thank you very much. It was January 2007 that Gago moved to Madrid, wasn't it? Thank you. Um, it was an interesting match. I thought it was really it good. Thrilling. I thought it was, it was, it was very good. Without, without, it wasn't exciting, but it was sort of intense and intriguing. And yeah. uh, and there was an absolute stonewall penalty not given to Newell's old boys, which bizarrely mirrors Boca's first match of the Dino Inicial, which, as long-term listeners with good memories will remember, was actually the second round match uh, away to Belgrano de Cordoba because Newell's had that one delayed due to their participation in the Copa Libertadores final, uh, which had been delayed because of the Confederations Cup. Um, of course, I've just spent a minute trying to remember why, but fortunately we've had lots of background noise, so I had to cut it anyway. And yeah, and, and Boca had some iffy, I can't remember exactly what it was, but they had some iffy um, refereeing decisions given their way away in Cordoba and came away with a 3-2 win, was it? No, Newell's beat them 3-2 the following weekend. They came away with a 2-1 win or something like that, or a 2-2 draw or something. Um, Stonewall penalty. No, I've watched it again and again and again and again and again. My instant reaction at the time was Maxi dived. I mean, there was a touch. He overreacted. Whether it was enough that, to that doesn't see him going penalty. down like he was being shot. Um, it was, I mean, because it was the home team, I was convinced the referee was going to give it because the guy clearly dived in. Maxi clearly received contact and threw himself on the floor. So Maxi throws himself on the floor after this, this touch from the defender and it was so dramatic but you can see why the referee didn't give it but it's a change for me to say this because usually I would argue that it should be penalised as a defensive mistake if a defender throws himself on, in, into a two-footed tackle like that. It doesn't matter whether he's touched the player but I thought Maxi's dive totally threw the chance away I thought but the thing is the dive's completely immaterial he was fouled no I don't think he was not to the extent he that he went down there was a touch no, was but he could have stayed up he could have carried on the ball was the other trip. side 
the ball was the other side of the defender. He could have carried on. The, the fact is that perhaps Max Rodriguez doesn't dive very often into mm. the box, and he, in that case, you you could be uh, could be fake could fake the, the referee because he was like yes diving as he was shot. Yeah. Uh, but uh, for example, sometimes uh, when Ayer Ortega was uh, diving into the box or, or, or not in, not into the box, but he died. The referees didn't uh, give the foul because of that. Not didn't didn't it wasn't important if if it was actually a foul or not. But because of the of the uh, action of diving, uh, the the referee. Itself, himself didn't want to, to, to give the foul because uh, it, he was constantly faking, perhaps. Yeah, I still think it was a penalty. I mean, well, um, by the letter of the law, it was, but I thought Maxi, in a this is going to sound really awful, in a moral sense, lost the chance to have that penalty because he overreacted. So basically, you're admitting that it was a penalty, but you're saying you well, wanted to give this contact, for entirely petty reasons, Rob. Oh, uh, yes, why not? Let's put it that way. Um. In any case, it was other than that a fairly entertaining game. Both sides had uh, just a couple of, of clear chances, really. Um, not, not you know, nothing really, really clear cut. You couldn't say that any the one side was particularly um, prejudiced against by by the final score of nil nil. Uh, but it was entertainingly end to end and yeah, I thought it was really stuff. good. I thought Newell's three man midfield played extremely well, and I thought the way they moved the ball around was really good to see even though it didn't lead to very much I saw that they had something like five shots by the end whereas Boca racked up 13 mostly through Gigliotti making things for himself and just being typically trigger happy bulldozing through defenders yeah. and he had one fantastic run during the first half um, yeah. where he cut back and they couldn't quite get enough power on the shot but it would have been a lovely goal if he'd managed to score it yeah to go back to Rupert Fry to name drop again I thought his uh, analysis during the game was quite correct that don't, uh, don't, don't use name drop it flatters Rupert too much we're, <laughs> we're, not, yeah. we're not trying to flatter Rupert until he actually gets off his ass and comes over to visit <laughs> us again because he, he was last in Buenos Aires weeks beforehand of Pod uh, was born and we've been waiting for him to come back ever since sorry well, yeah he said Bocker's midfield looks pretty directionless there was didn't look like there was a, a, a plan. I mean, they obviously had the four guys that are always there, more or less, minus Riquelme. And there was no idea who was doing what job. It was just kind of a, you're out wide, so you go forward, you're in the middle, kind of just do what you want. But this they, is they a, were outnumbered quite quite easily and played through by Newells. This is a point that's been made um, just this, well, today, in fact, uh, it's been made very clear because Carlos Bianchi is, is testing out the same uh, 4-4-2 essentially, um, in Juan Roman Riquelme's absence. Juan Roman Riquelme was going to be returning this weekend against uh, Belgrano in La Bombonera. We were all told it was definitely going to happen, as we always are told that Juan Roman Riquelme is definitely going to be returning from injury anytime soon, about 50 times a year. Um, today it's been announced that he won't be playing. He might play the last two or three minutes, if he's lucky. Um, but he's essentially still injured and they're, they're going to be having to look after him and he's not able to join in training and blah 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 uh, which means that once again um, Juan Manuel Martinez is going to be played sort of wide F-dish I think or whoever is going to be his replacement Fernando Gago they're talking about putting Fernando Gago in his enganche which would be interesting yeah um, Newells for their own part are now 11 league matches without losing not without winning, without losing, but they've only won four of them and they've drawn seven. 
uh, that's at home. Okay, overall, in spite of those uh, seven draws and four wins at home, they are nine matches without a win in the league. They've drawn six and it, lost three. It comes back to my point, like I said, they, they, they have the three-man midfield which dominates possession, but they just don't move it forward. They just mm. don't make creating chances. The last and league game that they won was in the 10th round of the Donato NECL, 1-0 over River. The following weekend, they lost the Clásico Rosarino to Central, and they've not won since. Uh, they're also in Copa Libertadores action tonight. They are away to Atletico Nacional. Yes. Yeah. Um, so there is, there's a chance that that statistic will be out of date by the time this episode goes online. Uh, they're playing at something stupid like 11.30 at, at, at night Argentine time. Of course, Colombia's two hours behind, so it's not really that stupid, is it? Um, so there's a small chance that that, that will have uh, changed by the time we go online. But considering how good they are, considering how much of a plan they've got, considering that this is the team who, who more than arguably any other, possibly with the exceptions of Vélez and Lanús, actually have a philosophy and, and, a, and a way of playing that's set and that was successful for them last year. Um, it's remarkable that Newells haven't managed a, a league victory in nine matches, isn't it? Some yeah, it definitely is. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. I remember you saying towards the end of the initial that unless they were playing Trezeguet, they weren't going to score any goals because he was the only guy who would actually do the job. Well, they were scoring them. Well, you know, so this, go- this is the other thing. Sorry, in, in this in this run of uh, winless matches, um, I think. It was the first league game in something like 15 matches in which Newells haven't scored. Well, it's not it's, 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 yeah, it's scoring. It comes down to scoring more goals than the opposition. You need mm. to have that constant conveyor belt of not only creating chances, but having someone who can put them away. And at the moment, they're just lacking a bit of both, but particularly the latter. And this is the thing, isn't it? They've got, I mean, we've got their squad up in front of us now. They've got Ezequiel Ponce, who you've never seen, uh, can't think about it. Juan Vieira, who again, we haven't seen anything of him. These are two young kids from the uh, the uh, what Spanish um, fans of Spanish football. That was the Cantera. Um, here they call it. Good grief! My Argentine football Spanish has just disappeared from my my head. Andres, what's the Argentine word for Cantera? Cantera is the inferiores, the youth players. Yeah, but there's another name yes. for it: the Academia or, or whatever. Um, no, it's gone. Sorry. Um, the only sort of first team established forwards they've got are David Trezeguet, who is 36. Uh, I'm not saying he's, he's bad, but he is 36 years old. And Martin Tonso. Um, if anything happens to either of those, Tonso I think is currently out with a, a knock or something. He didn't play at the weekend anyway. If anything happens to either of those two, it's going to be tricky. And the trickiness arrives now because we've got Newells, as we say, playing tonight in the Copa Libertadores. Okay, they've had. Well, they played on Sunday with Bocas. They've had Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday to, well, rest in as much as you can rest when you're travelling from Buenos Aires to, to Medellin. Medellin? Atletico Nacional? That sounds right, doesn't it? Yeah. We'll say that's correct. Um, and then obviously they have to travel back. They play on Sunday against whoever it is. We're going to find out in a second when we look at the fixtures. I can't remember. Um, and then there's a midweek round next week in the, uh, in the league, followed by a... Not exa- well, yeah, sort of early week round. I think the following one isn't on the weekend, but it kicks off on Monday and ends on Wednesday or something like that. Um, so they've got a lot of games now coming very close together, plus the Libertadores group stages, possibly knockout stages if they do better in the Libertadores than they've done in the league recently. Um, and their main striker is 36 years old. Uh, it was said that, that uh, for teams uh, uh, that 
participating in the Copa Libertadores would be exhausting because uh, the calendar is like uh, very very tight and uh, I think Newell's has the, 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 the striker they have and they, 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 they at least the one who played for uh, Boca Juniors was, was uh, Trezeguet so mm. they will have to find out something or, or to, to change the, at least the, the, the system because at least at least against Boca it was uh, seen that uh, I think there was in the first minute of the match that uh, Banega put a, a brilliant ball to Figueroa yeah. who, who shot and an, an Aurion side the, the mm. what, which was the one of the most cl uh, clear situations uh, in the match for Newells in the very very first play of the match then it was difficult for them to, to, to create uh, clear situations uh, unlike uh, Boca that uh, had a lot of of, of clear opportunities to score and and had in Higuliotti the I think the the, the other way uh, the opposite of Terzeguet who is th as you said th 36 years old and it's physically his form is not very good mm. uh, because of, the, of his age and 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 Higuliotti you you see him you watch if you watch the match you could see that he uh, in the one on one one in the head-to-head -head with the defenders was like physically strong and, 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 and he won every time he he was uh, with the defenders and, mm. and and that was key for me and new well news us like Arsenal and and, and, and Vélez will have a, a and San Lorenzo of course we have a very a very much difficulties to 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 to, uh, to lead with with that with the with the calendar a lot of matches in a short time a short number of players uh, they don't have a, I don't know 30 players in a similar level to put into the pitch mm. and, and and face the matches uh, with a, with two uh, teams whole teams uh, that's not possible so they will be I think it will be very difficult to to uh, to face two the two competitions the Copa Libertadores and the torneo final with the same possibilities it would be difficult enough without the, the calendar being congested with the calendar yeah. being congested it kind of uh, as a neutral it, it makes everything quite exciting I've actually found myself saying recently that one of the things that I most like um, for well Argentine football but I think would be most beneficial and also would, would give us a, a better sense of really how good each side is in relation to, to everyone else We've talked many times on Hand of Pod about the idea of, uh, of having one season long championship, a 38 uh, match league um, in a season. It's a possibility that we'll see it before much longer in Argentina. They're always talking about changing the format in some way or another. Um, and it's just occurred recently to me that one of the things that I'd most like to see is just for them to play, have completely separate entry, um, entry lists for the Sudamericana and the Libertadores, and to play both of them over the whole season. Um, because as it is at the moment, I know it's, it's tradition. They've played the Libertadores this way for about the last 17 or 18 years. It's been played in the first half of the year only since about 95 or something. And all the rest of it. Um, and I know it sounds to Latin American ears very colonial and imperialistic, saying you should do things the European way, bad Latinos, blah, blah, blah. Um, but it has to be said that the Libertadores is the same number of matches as the Champions League. Um, if you're going to get to the final, it, it's the same number of games in the space of half the amount of time. And it distorts, I'm sure, I, I don't know for certain, but I'm sure 
not only the Argentine league uh, when the Donnell finale is being played and also you know the, the first few months of the Brazilian season. If it distorts those two leagues, which are arguably the strongest in South America, I'm almost certain it distorts the Chilean league, the Peruvian league, the Uruguayan league, the Paraguayan league, the Colombian league, the Ecuadorian league. Look how many South American nations I'm able to name. It's almost as if I lived here. Um, just the same way, if, if, if not worse. I'd really like to see how the domestic leagues would look if the Libertadores was played over a full season. Um, I'd like to see whether it would make the competitions more attractive to players to stay and actually play in them, because at the moment they get... The money's not going to change, but they get such a raw deal, like, it's such a terrible organisational fuck-up. We've spoken a bunch of times about the Libertadores involving travel distances that are just enormous as well. I mean, Buenos Aires to uh, Torreón, which was where... um, Oh shit, which team was it who played away in Torreón on Tuesday night? Santos Laguna. Thank you. So it's Arsenal de Sarandí played away on Tuesday night to uh, Santos Laguna. And we'll talk about the Argentine sides and the Libertadores in a couple of minutes' time. Um, that, that, the distance from Buenos Aires up to Mexico City and then on to Torreón, in terms of travel time, Moscow to Lisbon, London to... Beijing almost it's an absolutely enormous distance 12, 13 hours I think yeah um, and they, they, they were stuck there after the game as well weren't they yeah yeah. then they had a 7 hour delay no I, I think that might have been Venice in fact coming back to Peru oh. um, but you, you've got this kind of away trip it's all squashed into a much 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 shorter period of time uh, with the league championship going on as, as well and I, I'd like to see the Libertadores I, I love the Libertadores I love the chaos of it I love how how quickly it all seems to happen as well. That's one of the reasons I fell in love with it was the way that it's just match after match after match. The group stages all seem to mean something as a result because they're not spread out. They all happen so so rapidly and because home and away counts for so much when you might have a team uh, in La Paz where you basically know that you can't get a win or you're yeah. going to have to work your socks off to, to get so much as a draw. Um, it, it counts for much more. But it has to be said that in terms of the effect that it has on the league championships, I just wonder whether the Libertadores would be better served. Because, you know, then the quality of teams going into the Libertadores is also greater. That You've got a chance to, to plan better. Anyway, we're getting ahead of ourselves. I'm going to play some music um, and we'll come back and we will discuss the fortunes of the three Argentine sides who up to this moment, with 17, 18 minutes still to go before Lanús kick-off, have played in the Copa Libertadores group stages this year. Don't go away. sides in the Copa Libertadores um, there are five of them we have the champions of the Torneo Inicial last year, that's Newell's Old Boys we have the champions of the Copa Sudamericana no sorry, the Copa Argentina um, who were Arsenal de Sarandi we have the champions of the Torneo Inicial who of course are San Lorenzo de Almagro or Club Atlético Sin Libertadores de América, as the rest of the big five fans like to refer to them. Which is funny on so many levels, you see, uh, if you're Argentine, because their initials are C-A-S-L-D-L-D-A, uh, which, which stands for Club Atlético San Lorenzo de Almagro, but it translates 
Club Atlético sin Libertadores de América into Club Atlético without Libertadores de América. So isn't that funny? Um, the other sides uh, are Lanús, who were the best-performing Argentine side in the Copa Sudamericana, of course, because they won it, and none of the other Argentine sides won last year's Copa Sudamericana. Um, and Vélez Sarsfield, who earned their place in this year's Copa Libertadores by winning one match against Newell's Old Boys um, last winter. So well done, Vélez. That was the, uh, the super final uh, championship for the season, of course. AFA have since changed that, by the way. The winners of this year's Super Final won't be going into next year's Copa Libertadores. They will get a qualification for the Sudamericana, um, but they won't go into the Libertadores. So, well done, AFA. A rare moment of sensibleness from you there. Um, we will take these matches in the order that they were played. San Lorenzo, going for their first Copa, uh, had a tricky away fixture early on. They were hoping for a maracanazo of their own away to Botafogo, who don't normally play in the Maracanã, but do play, it would appear, their Copa Libertadores games in the Maracanã. And they lost. San Lorenzo lost, that is. Uh, 2-0 away from home. Did anybody see this one? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> We're not going to go into the same detail as we did with yeah. the league games. Okay, so we'll just give over it briefly then. San Lorenzo did not come out of that match with a great deal of credit. It's always difficult for South American clubs travelling between nations to play these games but that was a particularly poor performance not much credit from any player really although we should give Wallace and the scorer of the Potofogo's second goal some credit because that was an absolute screamer yes indeed where did he strike it from? Uh, a considerable distance away from the goal that's a where's Wally joke for the oh, particularly awake of you uh, Juan Carlos Ferreira Manuel Juan, Juan something or other Ferreira um, oh, actually, we might be able to get his name by clicking on it there. No, still says Juan Ferreira, uh, who is... Is he Argentine? Yes, I believe He so. is Argentine, isn't he? Yeah, I thought I wanted to say Paraguayan, and then it occurred to me that... No, it's not. Um, scored the first. The, somebody or other had a long shot, and Sebastián Torrico... He got deflected. He got quite badly deflected. Um, and Sebastián Torrico, as a result, could not hold it. And uh, Ferreira followed up to stick it in the net. Um, for Botafogo's first but yeah Walisson's second is one to to look out for um, head into YouTube type in Botafogo uh, San Lorenzo goals and enjoy it was lovely um, the second Argentine side in action in the Copa Libertadores on Tuesday night Arsenal de Sarandí could have very very creditable I thought considering the travel time they had involved and the performance as well 1-0 um, defeat away to Santos Laguna in a match which I think the consensus was Santos Laguna's goalkeeper was arguably the best player Oswaldo on the pitch. Sanchez, the 40 years old, I think. Oh, really? Yeah. Shall we look Oswaldo Sanchez up on Wikipedia? 99 matches for the Mexican national team. My word. Um, yeah, so the, the consensus anyway, he's been playing with Santos Laguna since 2007. Um, the consensus was that he was the, the best player on the pitch and that he was the reason that his side got the win. Um, there was a goal involved as well in this, obviously. Oribe Peralta scoring a fine, um, uh, the end of a fine move um, to, to put Santos Laguna 1-0 up. But Arsenal, Santi mentioned last week that um, in previous years Arsenal have had Libertadores groups which they just haven't stood a chance in. You could tell before the thing kicked off this one it would appear that they've got a bit more of a chance. And you'd have to be, certainly, on the basis of, of uh, Tuesday night's performance, they're surely going to be optimistic about the return. I was going to say, fixture, yeah. aren't they? 
you said it was a creditable loss, but it was one of those games where you go into it thinking we'd probably take a 1-0. And then when it comes, it's like getting kicked in the nuts because you've played so well. Yeah. Just destroyed the other team, worked the keeper so many times, and then still come away with only a 1-0. We've got, the, we've got the stats here and, of course, uh, lies and statistics, but uh, Arsenal had 13 shots to Santos Laguna 9. We will remind you that Santos Laguna were the home side in this match. Um, that's uh, that's on target, I think, rather than... Sh- oh, no, no, that's overall shots. Um, and, yeah, we're, we're better pretty much everywhere, apart from on the score sheet. So, yeah, hard luck, Arsenal. It's not every week we say that. But. Yeah, a very, a very unfortunate defeat. And eventually, uh, this was on Tuesday night, we had all of these matches played one after the other. The San Lorenzo game kicked off at 7 the Arsenal game kicked off at... Uh, oh, hang on, they've still got the kick-off times here. I wonder what that was. Uh, the Arsenal game kicked off at quarter past nine. And uh, this is all Buenos Aires time, obviously, for those of us watching on television from here. And the Vélez Sarsfield game kicked off at half past eleven at night. Can you imagine staying up that late for a Champions League night? This is another reason I love the Libertadores. Um, they were away to Universitario in uh, Universitario Stadium, the name of which I've temporarily forgotten, but it's a ground I've always wanted to see a match at since I was about 12 years old and first saw a picture of it. Um, That absolutely mental one with the sort of what looks like a block of flats all the way around it, looking down onto it. Beautiful. Um, And Vélez came away. Oh, the Estadio Monumental. (laughs) A River Plate fan should have been able to to remember that one, shouldn't I? Um, Vélez came away with a 1-0 win. The goal came from Héctor Canteros, um, and it's difficult, I think, to say that Vélez didn't deserve that one. Yeah, isn't very, it? very clearly the better side. I've just realised I misread the stats because they're slightly uh, confusingly presented on the Libertadores <laughs> side. I got the, the shot totals mixed up for Arsenal and um, uh, Santos Laguna. It was Santos Laguna had, had 11 and Arsenal had 9, but Vélez had 11 shots to Universitarios, 3 which isn't great for a home team, is it? Yeah, I was thinking about this when I was watching it. It was not the typical away Libertadores performance. It was one that suggested they were very much the home team. It was confident, fluent, and they created, like I said, a lot more chances than the home team. Um, they got their win, and when the return leg comes, you'd expect they would take them to the cleaners, rather. It was a late goal, wasn't it? It was about 80, uh, oh, 80 minutes, and in fact, I thought it was even later than that. But yeah... Um, Decent goal when it came. Well done, Melis. We were waiting for, for an away win for Argentina. And it was, of course, as I said earlier on, the initial was uh, uh, classif- uh, characterised by, by a heavy bias in result terms towards the home teams. And so it almost seems like Argentine sides have forgotten how to play away matches, to be honest at the moment, in any competition, including their own. Um, but now on Thursday night just kicking off in about 10 minutes time now are Lanús at home they've got a home match brilliant uh, to O'Higgins of Chile if you're thinking that's a bizarre name for um, for a Chilean club to have uh, Bernardo O'Higgins was one of the heroes of Chilean independence and the first um well the first leader of the country I think it was known as Supreme Dictator when it first uh, announced um, it's independence from Spain, but uh, he was he was a lovely man. I'm sure, not a uh, dictator at all. And there is something particular about Vélez, uh, uh, last night rival, and tonight's uh, mm. uh, rival of Lanús. That Universitario, uh, the coach of Universitario is Angel David Comis, a former goalkeeper, yep. River goalkeeper, and also the O'Higgins coach is Eduardo Berizzo, 
who <laughs> played also for River as a defender. So, oh, well. So information. River might be shit at the moment, but their ex-players are making good managers, it would seem. Um, and then Newell's later on, also at 11.30 at night, I might be home to watch that in that case, uh, are away to Atletico Nacional. That looks like it could be a cracking match in the first game of... In the second game, sorry, but the first round of matches of Group 6. Um... There's no point asking you what you think of that because it'll be out of date by the time we're online anyway because it'll have been played. So we're now going to play some music. Please enjoy it. And we will come back and, lis- and listen to some of your answers questions. few questions we don't have very many but that's that's a good thing if anything uh the first is uh we're gonna ask a, we had a few comments during the week and during the weekend as well so we'll read those out chris hartley first of all he actually tweeted me this one oh, bloody hell that was loud and also tweeted the the hand pod um account he says welcome back after the summer break thank you very much chris good to have the pod back thank you very much chris he asks uh will football para todos still be a free st- stream i think he means football para todos um, haha, it's a typo. That's the joke. Um, the answer appears to be yes. We weren't sure uh, what was happening with regard to the new look football paratodos that Marcelo Tinelli was going to bring in, the new private investment, private production, and blah, blah. Um, but that all fell through because Christina um, got uh, the president of Argentina, Christina Kirchner, got pissed off about Marcelo Tinelli's involvement, and so he's been chucked out, and football paratodos is the same as it was last year. So it looks like. You'll still be able to watch Argentine Primera matches, sometimes on deporti.gov.ar and often via YouTube, free to the world. They're deliberately not um, geo-blocking it on futbolparatodos.com.ar. They're not very regular and they don't put up um, schedules or anything of what they're going to stream. But if you follow me on Twitter, H-E-G-S underscore C-O-M, I tend to tweet links, and if you're not on Twitter, go to twitter.com slash H-E-G-S underscore C-O-M, and you will see the links a few minutes before each game, if you do want to watch Argentine football for free from your living room, on your computer, or tablet, um, particularly Android tablets, the YouTube stream works really nicely on, on the Nexus. Josh Bramlett also got in touch to say that his River question last week, he was the one that we all laughed at for suggesting the River might go down was more about their finances in regard to staying down. But I guess they're so big it would never happen. Um, I think you're right, Josh. Uh, obviously, River, are, um, it would be astonishing if River went down at the end of this season or indeed next season. No one's even talking about it. Um, but financially speaking, they're very much, as, as Rodolfo D'Onofrio, the president, says, in the sea um, financially, but ultimately they're, they're too much of a big club to, to be declared bankrupt. Even if they were, Racing were declared bankrupt in 2001. Yeah, yeah one, wasn't it? Um, and they still continue to exist as an institution and everything. They, they had to go through a few years of private ownership, which was a, a, a torturous time for their fans and uh, 
a blot on the recent history of Argentine football. Um, but you know, you wouldn't be talking about River, you know, going out of existence or anything. No court in Argentina is going to to um, to rule that any football club goes out of existence, and much less any of the big five, but particularly River or Boca, of course. He also says that floating cameras here in the US are common in stadiums without a roof, so it can be done. Thank you for letting us know that, Josh, because, uh, of course, we commented on that last week uh, among these uh, ambitious plans for football para todos. Andres points out that he predicted River to get a narrow win against Ignacio La Plata last week, and the result was 1-0. You're welcome. Thank you, Andres. Um... <laughs> Uh, there's then a conversation with Mariano taking the piss out of Andres a bit and then Liam Delaney says he enjoyed the first episode of the new season thank you very much and now we have this week's questions I apologise if that clap was slightly loud we're still getting used to the new, the new microphone um, uh, Scott Munro asks is there a theme of teams in Argentina playing a modified version of the 3-5-2 system like River did on Sunday night? Short answer, no. I haven't seen a single 3-5-2 in a game that I've been to since I've got here. I think a more personal version of Scott's question might be, is there a theme of teams in Argentina playing three at the back? Would you like mm, to answer that one, Rob? No, I'd like to answer that one. Your vast experience. <laughs> Every game I've been to so far in person has featured... Uh, 4-4-2 versus 4-4-2 in some modification be it a diamond midfield or a flat midfield I'm not sure I can recall a single 3-5-2 and since Borgi in the, when he was the coach of Boca uh, uh, I think no, no other coach uh, tried to put three men in the back and, and in this case River puts uh, or Ramon Diaz uh, puts three men in the back because they don't have uh, or he didn't have any Number a natural number three or, or left defender mm. to to put into the pitch now. Yes, we should point out that Bruno Uribarri was yes. uh, suspended for that match. He'll make his debut, unfortunately, for River this weekend uh, away to Central. And uh, Leonel Mangioni is going to be pushed more into left midfield. That's why he yes. says this. As, as long as, as the as the team uh, responds in a good way with this uh, kind of of. of of defense with uh, Mercado, Maidana, and Balanta as as a as a libero, as a free defender. Uh, I we I I don't see Ribari uh, with the place in the into the starting lineup. Bloody up, you're right. <laughs> um, I will say, however, in, in Scott's defense, in terms of that question, that when I first got here, I remember. Um, there seems to be an explosion of sides playing three four one two for about six months or so. I remember going to a few matches with Rupert, uh, who we've already mentioned when he was here, and uh, with Jonathan Wilson. And of course, when you first go to matches with Jonathan Wilson, it was the first time that I'd met him. Um, he he wrote the book on football tactics, so you can't help <laughs> but try and sound knowledgeable by asking him about football tactics. And um, I remember a few arguments between between Rupert and Wilson. Um, about how three at the back could or couldn't work when you were playing four or five in midfield and it was very interesting so it definitely did happen um, but it seems to have died down a bit in the last couple of seasons they seem to be going more for four at the back although three does remain an option at times I'd like to see a lot more of three at the back it has to be said I'm, just... I'm currently u- as I've told you Rob yes, I'm indeed. currently using three at the back in my football manager career and it works fantastically if you've got a decent player to use as a libero in the German league but anyway um, no one wants to hear about my football manager career on here unfortunately your loss 
Uh, Liam Delaney asks, does anyone know if Eric Lamela is still alive? In my... You're the one who writes about Spurs. Yes, indeed. I'm not a Spurs fan, but I do have a weekly column for a Spurs site. He claims not to be a Spurs fan. Yes, indeed. The Spurs fans who I uh, write for would like like me to be one, but that's their long-term project. Whether or not it will succeed, we'll see. Um, I'm not sure whether Eric Lamela is still alive. That's open to debate. I would like to think that he is. He's definitely... His career has stalled somewhat. We all know he's a great player and he's extremely talented. Um, He's a bit of a victim of the fact that uh, Tim Sherwood is trying to hit the ground running and keep up a quite ridiculous run of form at the moment, considering how they are actually performing and the results they're getting. Hmm. That's not really the way the the team you want to bring a new player in, especially one who's struggled. So expect to see him not featuring for Spurs for the foreseeable future, sadly. Oh, he's still at Spurs then? They didn't send him out on loan? No, they didn't loan him out. He has been injured. He may have just got injured again, but he has been in and out of the team in the Europa League games only. He had an injury in his back and now he his injury got worse and he has for six weeks. Yeah. I think, and, and, and uh, he should move, anyway, he should move to Sunderland, where, <laughs> where you study Virginia and Skoko are, are playing. And yeah, the <laughs> thing is, Sunderland are making a habit of only signing Argentines who don't play for Argentina, so I'm not sure Lamena should well, go there, given he's on the fringe of the squad. Yeah, on the fringe. I think if he stays at Spurs anymore, he will, he will find himself in the periphery or in the history of the squad. Yeah. Uh, Gareth Townsend. I'm very close to the microphone. Then Gareth Townsend says, Boca looked stronger than expected at Newell's. Will the absence of the Libertadores give them a domestic advantage? That's a good question. Um, with the way the midfield is performing at the moment, I don't think they're going to be up there with a domestic advantage, but this campaign promises to be pretty mental, and if they can rectify their midfield problems and uh, keep a fit squad, um, yeah, You'd have to say that they'll have an advantage over teams who are in and out of Europe, uh, Europe, in and out of South America, I should say, South American continental competition. Um, the Coppas, they say. So. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, they should have an, an advantage simply by having fewer games. I'd, I'd agree with that. Whether their performances are going to let that advantage tell is another matter, of course. But yeah, I mean, the, the lack of continental competition definitely gives clubs like River, Boca, Racing. If I'm going to be really neutral and, and forget for a second that I'm a River fan, I'm even going to say Rafaela because I'm still excited from about three weeks before the end of the NCL <laughs> that Rafaela actually could win a championship. It gives all these clubs um, uh, a bit of an advantage over the others. Central, you know, possibly as well. Um, let's just continue to name clubs who aren't in the Libertadores, shall we? Yeah, I can think of Juniors. Colón, Olimpo. I think Colón. No, yeah. not do I. I don't think Olimpo <laughs> are going to win it either. Although, who knows? If they keep up the current form, they'll win 19 out of 19 and be their first champions ever with a 100% record. Um, Andres, do Boca have a domestic advantage? Uh, yes, I think definitely it will be a, an advantage not to participate in the Copa Libertadores. But I think that the real uh, torneo final starts this this weekend for Boca when, he, when they face uh, home Belgrano. Mm. Because uh, they were in a poor form uh, last uh, last tournament uh, playing j- home. Uh, so you think? Have you seen that? Understandings? Well, no, I think not the. They lost last, one match. The and that was one, against all boys. I think the previous one was even worse. But uh, I think it will be high pressure in the stadium. Well, not high pressure because it will. <laughs> It'll be empty. Yes. 
<laughs> but, uh, but yes, I think it would be a, a real hard uh, test for them mm-hmm. in this, uh, this, this particular match, which will be, which will, be a, a, which ha- will have a real strange situation uh, in the home, awaiting, not Woka, mm-hmm. which will be, of course, uh, yeah. uh, uh, important for them to, to see what the, the three or four first ma- the three or four first matches will yeah as usual the three or four first matches are are, are the the ones that guide you into the rest of the mm. of the of the tournament and and, and Belgrano which championship is, yes Sorry. I got we, angry with people on Twitter the other day for translating Torneo as a tournament and, and which is a, a, a tough one because Belgrano is always tough and and and, uh, and well. They have. They will have the, the, the this match as, as the as the first uh, as home condition. So uh, we will see in, the, in in this match if if if, the, if it's a real advantage not to participate, not to take part uh, into the Copa Libertadores or not. Mm. Um, which, but talking about the rival Belgrano, they have a particular situation in, in, in for this match. Right. This is. Thank you for remembering because yes. I said beforehand that we had an interesting story about Belgrano's goalkeeper. I said we had to remind remember this, and I forgot. Remember this is remembered. Uh, Belgrano's goalkeeper, as everybody knows who listens to us all the time, is Juan Carlos Olave. Juan Carlos Olave. We've talked about him before. He's the gentleman who has the face of his cousin or something on his shirt because he was a famous Cordoban yes. singer who was killed in a car crash at the age of about twenty-five a few years ago. We say famous, he's not Carlos Gardel or something, but he's, you know, uh, respected in the, in the, in the area. Uh, Juan Carlos Olave is suspended for the match away to Boca Juniors in La Monera. He picked up his fifth yellow card of the season during Belgrano's... Shit. Two-two draw against Lanús. Thank you, Andres. Um, and as a result, he's suspended for this one. And as a result of that, Belgrano's second-choice goalkeeper... Whose name I don't know. Pablo Heredia is the name of the goalkeeper. Pablo Heredia, yes. Hered- Pablo Heredia, Heredia yes. Uh, Heredia, H E R E D I A, right? Yeah. Yes. Um, is is going to be making his first team debut. He is twenty or twenty-one years old. Um, and the reason we know this is that at the age of fourteen, have you heard about this, Rob? No. Do you know? Right. I think he's That's nineteen years old, even younger. Oh wow! Right. At the age of fourteen, in two thousand and seven, um, Belgrano were playing at home to Gimnasia y Grima La Plata, gymnastics and fencing of the plate. Um, no, he was Belis goalkeeper. Was he at yes, the time? Oh, three, okay, right. They weren't playing away to Gimnasia in that, in that case. They were playing away to uh, sorry at home to Belis, um, and they must have been winning I can't, I've forgotten the, the situation exactly but Belgrano presumably were winning and the goal went the ball goes out for a Belis um, goal kick and the ball boy the 14 year old completely anonymous ball boy at the time takes his time returning the ball to Sessa and when he does return the ball to Sessa eventually later on in the match the, the home side are winning Sessa responds by picking up the ball and kicking it straight at his face <laughs> not at Sessa's face obviously at the ball boy's face and then runs off to get his own ball to take the goal kick with. Uh, that ball boy on Sunday away in La Bombonera in front of a crowd of no one at all apart from a few journalists is going to make his debut in the Primera for Belgrano as a goalkeeper. What a story. Yeah, and then the best part is was after that that the, the, all, the, all the Belgrano people were insulting him and he 
left the stadium uh, grabbing his his eggs and and and, and doing his not balls. very nice gestures. His, his balls, we say. Yes, his balls. And then that was well. Uh, he left the stadium that way to the, the Cordoba people, the Belgrano uh, supporters. And the Belgrano defeated Vélez 3-0 and well, Cesar was not in his best uh, situations. Uh, I think that was the year also that he kicked Rodrigo Palacio in the Copa Libertadores. Yeah, looking for a reminder of, of uh, what exactly had happened because I remembered it very vaguely. Obviously, I was watching on the internet at the time. I was, I was in England. Um, I, I stumbled across a bunch of... You type in Gaston Cesar Alcanza Pelotas, which in Spanish is, is ball boy, um, and you get up just a, an absolute shitload of stories of Gaston Cesar going nuts at various people. Um, he, he was insane. He also touched Pezzotta in a, in, a, in a match, I don't remember now, but play, uh, go, he the was referee. the best goalkeeper, yes, he... he Catched uh, Petzota from the neck, I think, and he was like catching him, grabbing him, and and because he, I think that he delayed the, the play when he was going to to take the the goal kick, and and Petzota booked him, mm. and that was enough for him to 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 catch him from the neck, and <laughs> and yes, he was quite like crazy, and he had yes, as you said, a lot of stories like that. When we talk about eccentric South American goalkeepers, Gaston Cesar. Yes. Gaston and then S-E-S-S-A is his surname enjoy um, Alan Kale asks how do you think both Palanta and Correa would do in the English Premier League and what sort of price would get them because they're attracting interest we're going to pause for a second whilst this bike goes past no we won't I'll just talk over it instead and then we'll carry on talking um, we're assuming from his profile picture that he's talking about Ankel Correa of San Lorenzo and also because he's talking about English Premier League interest Rob uh, you seem to watch more Premier League football than anyone else here in this room at the moment mm-hmm. anyway um, Balanta first of all how do you think he would do I think he would do pretty well um not depending, well, a lot depending on which team he was playing for. I think if he was playing for Manchester United, for example, he'd probably struggle a bit. Um, but for really? certain, yeah, initially at least. Okay. I think um, for teams lower down the table, he's certainly got the quality and the understanding to take to it straight away. In terms because of, of lower expectations, or uh, less? yeah, simply because of lower expectations, okay. there are certain you know consistency would be a problem, and then there's you know uh, the likelihood of errors being made that. A, a, um, someone who's got greater experience and uh, at this stage greater quality wouldn't make you know if you sure. play for someone like West Ham he'd get away with a lot more than he would for Manchester United in terms of asking this price this hand pod exclusive Rob Brown hates West Ham <laughs> yeah they're a bunch of fucking dicks excuse me uh, in terms of asking price mm, River you could probably buy him off him for a quid if you wanted to go no, I'm not sure. They've declared, <laughs> they've declared him untransferable. In yeah. terms of asking price, it, it's an interesting one because, of course, River. I'm going to move away from the mic. Touch something. That seems very loud. All of a sudden, no, it's fine. Um, in terms of asking price, it's an interesting one because, of course, River are, uh, are in crisis institutionally. Well, not institutionally. Fortunately, that's Colón, but financially. Um, but one of the things that Rodolfo de Nofrio announced when he took over was that River weren't going to sell players for less than their face value. I think it's pretty obvious from various uh, offers that were rejected, if we're to believe the rumours last year, that they consider Balanta's face value to be significantly over $5 million. Um, So I'm not sure whether cheap exactly. Certainly... 
but he'd, Premier League standards, cheaper, extremely cheap. He'd be yeah. cheaper than signing a centre back of equivalent talent from a Western European club. Certainly, yeah. Um, significantly cheaper, as Rob says. And yeah, okay. So you, he can do a job. I'm glad that I'm not overestimating him because obviously he's a river fan, yeah. some, and, and as someone who watches far more Argentine football than, than European football, I, I, I try and watch European football, but sometimes it coincides with Argentine football, and I'm not able to. Um, I'm glad I don't have an inflated idea of him because yeah. he, he comes across so well. well the, the talent is clearly there. The mm. fact that he's being linked with clubs like Barcelona is somewhat overstating it, in my view. But you know, the bottom half of the Premier League at the moment isn't. Um, it's not putting up trees. He could quite easily yeah. do that job. And the fact remains that he's now been a regular in in Rivers' first team for getting on for a year, and he's made all of Zero two mistakes, perhaps neither of which led to goals. Yeah. Uh, I mean, literally, he's phenomenally consistent, which in the Argentine league is is really saying something. The um, problem for me comes from the fact that the Argentine league, or at least the performances that I've seen of his, the only real job he's had to do is head things away. And that's why I say he could do a job in the lower half of Premier League. Oh, he's definitely... He's got the talent to do the, the if, tougher stuff when there's more coordinated, quick attacks coming that are short passing based or whatever. Yeah. In the future, he can definitely do that. It's at the moment, I'd say he's... If, if we're talking... He, he actually started out as a number 10. Mm-hmm. Um, when he was about 15, he was a number 10. He's only 19 or 20 now. Um, and when he first joined Rivers' uh, youth ranks, they had so many number 10. He's Colombian... There aren't so many over there. He came down here, he started playing for Rivers as a number 10, and they said, hang on, but you've got the physique. He's not particularly tall, but he is stacked, beefy. Um, you've got the physique to play as a centre-back, and you've got the right skill set to play as a, a kind of a ball-playing centre-back, and that's how they brought him through. From what, he's, uh, from what he's shown at Rivers so far, he is, and I apologise for alienating probably two-thirds of our audience here, at, at least two-thirds, if not 90%, or 99%. If you play football manager... Um, Balanta's precisely the kind of player from what he's shown so far who would be a limited defender at centre yeah, back. Yeah. Um, but the truth is that given his his age and and given how how able he is on the ball as well, uh, there's no reason that he wouldn't be able to do a, a much more rounded job of it. And Angel Correa, Rob? Uh, Correa is a bit of a different uh, case. I'm not sure he's EPL ready at the moment because. His talent is so raw and Please unrefined. Please don't say EPL. I can't help I'm it. It fits on that. Twitter. It uses Premier far League. fewer characters. Premier League, I'm happy with There are about a million EPL. Premier Leagues. Anyway, uh, he's less suited to the Barclays Premier League. We're going to attract sponsorship. No, we're not using sponsorship. <laughs> if Barclays want to send us money, then they can do. But there's no sponsorship on In that. In any case, Correa needs more time. He would have to... Uh, I hate using this phrase because it implies that he's not very good at football, which is not about physique, but... He would have to bulk up if he was to come to England uh, and he'd have to get a lot more consistent than he is already. Um, the sensible thing to do would probably be to ar- arrange a future transfer with San Lorenzo which would keep him in an environment here playing, feeling part of something, feeling Signing at home. at the end of the... Well, maybe, maybe next season. Next, next season, season, maybe the, the season after. Yeah. He needs more time here. He needs to develop. But if he does develop at the rate he is developing, there's a player that's waiting to come to Europe, no doubt at all. It seems a lot more likely, by the way, that he'll sign for Valencia at some point because Pizzi wanted to take him now and he says he wants to play for the Copa Libertadores. So whether we're going to see a delayed transfer, because of course the Libertadores final and semi-final indeed isn't going to be played until after the World Cup. Um, whether San Lorenzo are going to get to the Libertadores semi-final, it remains to be seen. It'll be no. hilarious if they do because the, the repercussions if they go out could be brilliant. But. We shall see. In terms of asking price for Correa, I'm pretty sure 
two, three million at the moment we're taking away from San Lorenzo. Isn't that little? Yeah, definitely. With Tinelli behind San Lorenzo, I think yeah, but, you could no, be talking no, a bit more. No, to I, think, I think, well, in terms of a Premier League club, if I was a Premier League club spending more than two or three million on him, I would have to consider my price. Ah, uh, right, but the question is what sort of price would get them? Andres, how much do you think San Lorenzo would charge for Angel Correa? In dollars? Or oh, in dollars, dollars, I was speaking. Yeah. In dollars? You were speaking in what? Pounds. Oh, right, so which is four million, maybe, yeah. but still. How much will will him cost in in case case of the of the transfer? Yeah. How how much for Angel Correa yes. at the official exchange rate? Five, not more, not more. Don't laugh. <laughs> not more than five million dollars, I think, today. Yeah. Okay. I think that's more realistic than the uh, four million that, that robs us. Uh, Daniel Edwards, never heard of him, asks, can you confirm rumours that there is a new hand of pod microphone? When does Dan Edwards' goal get his one back? <laughs> the answer to that, Dan, is that you work two blocks away from my house, so you can come around any time you want for it. Stop being lazy. Um, Rob says, is he going to be in trouble if he taps the table Santiago-style? The answer is yes. I shall demonstrate to our listeners now why they're asking <laughs> that, because I've always tried to edit it out. Listeners, the Hand of Pod microphone sits atop a table most of the time. Last week it didn't, it was on a big camera tripod. Uh, if you tap the table, this is what it sounds like. And Santi has a habit of doing that. It doesn't sound very loud to Andres and Rob at the moment. I'm listening on headphones and it does. Uh, Santi has a habit of doing that to prove a point when he's talking. Uh, and I've told him to stop. So this is why Rob asked the question. It's hilarious. It's really not. Um, and finally, uh, Tom Robinson asks the, the funniest question of the night, without a doubt. Is Caruso Lombardi the saviour of Venezuelan football? I hadn't heard about this until I saw this question and I asked these two and they explained to me. So first of all, guys, I'm going to ask, ask you to just explain why Tom is asking this question. Ricardo Caruso Lombardi, of course, the ex-manager of Argentinos, the manager who, who's never managed anyone who wasn't struggling for relegation from the Argentine Premier División. Can he save Venezuela from relegation to the B? Well, he he, he was successful in, in, in saving uh, Racing, San Lorenzo and Argentina Juniors from relegation, but uh, I think, yes... Uh, and a bunch of others, all boys and... Yes, blah, 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 blah. and estudiantes... Uh, but Venezuela isn't in the point of relegating or of the relegation. No, so, so he's got to so struggle, right? Because he's not got anything to fight against. He, I, I think he can move to Venezuela and, and, and start knowing the, the players that that play in the local uh, league, in the local championship, Venezuelan championship. But I don't see him as a as a coach for qualifying a, a national team for the 2018 uh, World Cup. I, mm-hmm. I, I don't. I don't think so. Anyway, it's difficult for him to 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 be the the, the Venezuela national team coach because of the of the economic situation of the of that country. It's, sure. They, it, have, it has been said that he was the one of the probable uh, coaches uh, that he wasn't in, on, on a list in a, uh, for for uh, uh, being the coach. But the that that stuff the economic economical situation. Especially dollars is, mm, I think it, it will be very very difficult for him to to, to be there. But and, with, and I, I I particularly don't know. Uh, he has ne- has never uh, 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 was he has has been never been the coach of a national team. So I can't. Say. No, I have to. So this is the next bit. The question <coughs> of that. The, yeah. the reason that Tom. Yes, Tom. Uh, is, is asking the question. Sorry, Tom. Um, I had a different tab up and I've forgotten who'd asked. 
is that Ricardo Caruso Lombardi has rather hilariously been linked with the managership of a national team. Um, why is that? Why has he got to the point where he's been linked with the Venezuelan national team? Uh, the previous manager was Eduardo Farias. Eduardo? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. No, Cesar Farias, I think. Sergio, thank you. Cesar, Cesar. Cesar, Cesar. That's the one. Cesar Farias. Um, who we, during the Copa America, called the Mourinho of South America. He's that suave and sophisticated. We don't know whether he's a complete and total arsehole, but apart from that, um, he has many similarities. He wears leather gloves when managing, which is a bit kinky. Um, and he's gone. He went. Did he go after the last um, World Cup qualifiers? Or did he go? We can't remember. Anyway, Caruso Lombardi would be a bit of an about turn, would he not? Yes, indeed. I would like to say on any. Moral... I mean, it's, it seems unlikely he'll actually say yes, which yeah. I point out. But if, a... if he were to say yes, it'd be a bit weird. Yeah, and also on a footballing level and perhaps even a moral level. If. <laughs> If the saviour is Caruso Lombardi, you are beyond saving. Yes. Especially at international level. Yeah. If, if Ricardo Caruso Lombardi turned out to be the second coming of Christ, then there's a very good chance that everybody who is right-thinking would prefer to just go to hell. <laughs> it's, it's, it's clear that Farias, Farias, Cesar Farias did a, did a great job, uh, and he couldn't uh, take Venezuela into the, into the World Cup. So I, I don't see... Any, any, I think any foreign, perhaps coach, not only Carlos Lombardi, to to take Venezuela national team into a World Cup. Uh, that's perhaps I, uh, I, I am wrong, but I, I don't see, I don't see him seriously taking the the the, the uh, job as a Venezuela national team coach. But I, I, I don't see him. On a related level, nobody has asked this question. We don't have very much time to consider it. But Marcelo Bielsa has been talking with the Peruvian Football Association, apparently. Given the circumstances under which the previous, or last but one, Peru manager left, which were basically having a massive Barney with the FA, um, and uh, lots of complaints about how poorly Peruvian football is run, it would be slightly surprising if Bielsa actually took the job. But... Could you see him being a success in charge of Peru, Bielsa? I, I think Bielsa is a particular uh, coach, not uh, not a uh, not a common one, because he has to know the the, the perhaps the the, the infrastructure, the, the structure of the of the league and the, and the and, and the how will he be in charge of the of the of the players in the league and, and that stuff. Like he must have a lot of information about the. The players that, that that play there, like like it was when he was the Athletic Bilbao coach, that mm. uh, he had a lot of uh, facilities, a lot of, of of things to take into account, and he was like uh, in charge of everything. Uh, also the the youth youth players and and, and that stuff. Uh, I don't I don't think or I don't know if in, in Peru in the national if he were in charge of the national team. He will be given that that kind of work, uh, mm. like being in charge of the youth uh, national team and that stuff. Uh, that's why I think that he he declined the offer, or at least he he wasn't finally the, the the Peru national team coach. And now we have very little recording time left, um, so we're going to play some music. We're going to come back, and Mystic Sam is going to tell you what not to bet your pocket money on this weekend.
Mystic Sam's predictions. We start on Friday evening with a match in Mendoza between Godoy Cruz, the winemakers, and Quilmes, the poor quality beer makers. That's going to be a home win. On Saturday, we've got five matches. All boys versus Estudiantes de la Plata is going to be an away victory. All boys attacks severely weakened by the fact they've managed to get both of their strikers suspended for this weekend. Arsenal de Sarandí are going to lose at home to Vélez Sarsfield. Uh, Vélez showed better form in recovering from away games in the Copa Libertadores last year than Arsenal did. So that's what I'm going for that one. Uh, Tigre against Olimpo. Two sides in very good form. I think that one's going to be a draw. Colón against Argentinos Juniors. I don't need to read that one out, really. Uh, San Lorenzo versus Racing Club de Avellaneda. Sorry, Racing Club. Uh, it's going to be a San Lorenzo victory. No, right. That answers the, the point that you brought up earlier on. Score draw. Lanús versus Atlético de Rafaela is going to be a Lanús win in spite of the fact that Lanús have, uh, are playing at the moment of course um, I think they'll be able to recover and get the win Rafael are very 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 poor at home in the Inicia, uh, away from home sorry in the Inicial Gimnasia y Grima La Plata against Newells I think it's going to be a home victory I'm finally going against Newells Central against River is a draw and Boca Juniors versus Belgrano is a draw apart from San Lorenzo Racing which Rob's already given his opinion on do you have any disagreements with those gentlemen? No, I don't have. No. Shit. We always say that and it always ends up being awful. So we'll just see what happens. I'd like to clarify my. Perhaps Gymnasia against Nules is. Not, I'm not, not quite sure that Gymnasia will, will defeat Nules, but uh, I would be more uh, close to a draw than a Gymnasia. Gymnasia have had all week to prepare though, whereas Newells are going to. Yeah. Newells are playing yes. in like yeah. an hour and a half's time, so I think they could be tired. Plus, they're away as well, they've got to travel back in the yeah. meantime. Just to clarify my San Lorenzo Racing prediction, at least a score draw, potentially a Racing win. Okay. We shall see. It, it, honestly, that was one of the harder ones to select because no, none of the three possible results um, would surprise at all, but I just think San Lorenzo are going to be kind of. Determined yeah, to, to get rid of the the bad performances recently, and well, given the previous bias during the Torneo Inicial for home wins, um, one suspects that it's difficult to. Yeah, the logic is definitely there, but they've shown so little since November. We have to, to take into account that uh, the Bielsa uh, Bielsa uh, Bausa de, debut was not good. He <laughs> he's, he, he he was the coach for the first two matches, official matches, and and. Uh, San Lorenzo conceded four goals and scored no goals. No, totally. Uh, so we shall see whether they can get back on track at home. Um, for now, ladies and gents, as I said at the very beginning of the show, I'll endeavour to get this online before Godoy Cruz versus Quilmes kicks off, which is at 19.15 Argentine time. That is quarter past ten at night if you're in Britain, or quarter past five in the afternoon slash evening if you're on the eastern coast of the United States of America. If you're in Australia, God knows what time it is, but there are only about 14 of you who listen to this from Australia, so who cares. Um, we love you 14, by the way. Yes. <laughs> Rob, at the very least, loves you. Uh, we know that you're just Dan Collis-Simon's family listening to it 14 times, but we do love you anyway. Don't worry. Okay, uh, anyway, 
that's it for this week. Thank you very much for listening to Hand of Pod. And for now, it's goodbye from Rob Brown. Goodbye, thanks for listening. Goodbye from Andres Bruckner. Goodbye, thanks for listening. And goodbye from me. Goodbye. <laughs>